Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels. Welcome, brethren. God bless you. We've been delving into the the ways of the Lord in the wilderness here, preparing folks to to walk above the principles of this world, preparing people to learn to hear the voice of their God in the wilderness and uh, be preserved, be provided for, learning to walk above... Um, the bondage in Egypt. You know, God led his people out of Egypt to learn to walk by faith in him. The righteous shall live by faith. I've been sharing a few uh, testimonies for the last few meetings and uh, testimonies of my own wilderness experiences that that, uh, gave me courage. And uh, I think they're encouraging others, too, to, to walk by faith in the Lord and Obviously, as we've studied uh, recently, God's about to bring a first fruits to fruition here in this world. They are a people who have been walking in the wilderness to the extent that they walk by faith in the Lord. They are trusting in the Lord to be their Savior in all things. They're not uh, ruled by the dictates of the world or religion. They have come out from among them, kind of like Moses, kind of like Jesus, uh, who were first fruits in their day, uh, who God prepared to to bring the larger group of Israel into their wilderness. And that's where we're headed, folks. And you have an opportunity right now to be one of those who um, who hears the voice of the Lord in the wilderness and who learns to trust in Him. And it's pretty exciting. But I've been sharing a few of my, my own testimonies, you know. And I want to tell you that uh, these testimonies that I'm sharing with you, even though they're very miraculous to me, I think they're going to be common in the days to come. And nothing like the greater works that God's about to do, frankly. I mean, I've seen some wonderful things, and they're very exciting to me. And they've put faith in my heart to know that God is faithful to his word. But we've got things greater yet coming, much greater coming. I was sharing with you last time that the thought came to me that a lot of people wonder, well, yeah, David, um, we know that God can handle these little things, but what about the big things, you know? And um, so I started sharing a few things that I thought were big things to most folks, you know. Shared with you how my the Lord healed um, broken bones in myself and my two older sons. I was going to share with you, I didn't get to it last time, but I was going to share with you about my youngest son, Justin, how the Lord healed him miraculously. And without the help of man, that's the main thing about the wilderness, is it's not by man's works. The rest from our works is just that. It's it's the rest from man's works to save himself and to provide for himself. The Lord God has already done it through Jesus Christ. 
You know, by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. It didn't say will be. It said were. And that, of course, negates any of your own works to save yourself because he's already done it. All we have to do is rest. And uh, we should fear, therefore, lest a promise be left of us entering into his rest, that any one of you should seem to have come short of it. Right? We want to enter into the rest of God. We want to be at peace in all circumstances because we know our sovereign Lord is in control. We know that he's taken care of us already at the cross. We know that he's healed us. We know he's delivered us. We know he's provided for us. We know all these things are already done and it's just a matter of us to enter into them through faith, right? And we also know that the problem with the example that was given to us in the scriptures is that the good tidings were also preached to the Jews, but they didn't believe them. You know, Hebrews 4 and 2 says, For indeed we have had good tidings preached unto us. That's good news preached unto us. Even as also they, but the word of hearing did not profit them, because it was not united with faith with them that heard. In other words, when we believe, the next verse says, For we who have believed do enter into that rest. When we believe... We're mixing faith with the promise. We're acting on that promise. We're not just hearing it. We're acting upon it. We're mixing faith with it. And when you do, it's a miraculous result that that comes with it. I'm going to tell you this story. It's not a story either. It's a true, true revelation. Um, Years ago, um, when my son Justin was very small, just really a little more than a toddler, um, I lived in in a... Christian community, and we all fellowshiped on this particular area outside of Baton Rouge. We all on this corner fellowship with the Word of God, and we had our own assembly there. And we just uh, we got together and we loved the Word of God. And um, I was I'd been walking in my wilderness for quite a few years, but I was constantly seeing miracles, and uh, I was got to imagine the territory over there around um, Denham Springs where I lived. There was a lot of clay over there, and uh, some of it was so hard, you, it was hard to get grass to grow in it. So we had, we had uh, actually disked up the area around uh, several houses there, and we had planted grass. And, um, well, the rain came, and... The clay ground over there, not like it is here, it's, it's sandy here and everything just sinks right in. We were amazed when we moved to Florida and didn't see any mud puddles because <laughs> it all just sinks right in, you know. But over there, it kind of stays on top of the ground and creates mud, you know. So we plowed it all up, planted the grass, and here comes the range, you know. And so we um, we fellowshiped a lot with our neighbors. So what we did is we put planks across the the mud so we could go back and forth to the neighbors and fellowship with them and and so on and I had walked over to the neighbors with uh, my youngest son Justin and we were coming back and he was walking ahead of me we were walking kind of carefully it was a plank that we were walking on you know and I was kind of guiding him you know with uh, in front of me and uh, suddenly he started to trip and lunge forward down into the mud and I reached out and grabbed his hand just as he was falling. And I actually felt his bone snap in my hand. And I could have swore I heard it too. You know, that's a strange thing. I didn't even think you could hear something like that. But, but I heard the pop and I felt the 
snapped in my hand, and I knew that his arm had broken. And it was because I grabbed him kind of at a right angle, you know, and um, and uh, it was my fault. So when I picked him up, he was crying, and um, you know, I just kind of cradled him in my arms, and I was uh, praying to the Lord and uh, thanking the Lord for healing him, because it was common to me to be healed by the Lord at this time. And um, so as I was walking him towards the house on the planks, um, the thought came into my mind, I'm not going to say anything to my wife, Mary. I'm not going to say anything to her about this. You know, I'm just going to, because I don't want to put any trial on her. I'm just going to, you know, see how, what the Lord does here. So when we came in and, and uh, she asked what happened, and I said, oh, he was falling, and I caught him, and he hurt his arm, which was all true. But I knew a little bit more than that, and I wasn't saying it. So she she picked him up, and she was um, took him over to the rocking chair, and she was rocking him back and forth, you know, and and he basically was crying, but uh, and hurting, and uh, he cried himself more so to sleep, I guess you'd say, and then she she started feeling around on his arm, and uh, while I was in the room, and I was just kind of watching her, and she said, David. His arm's not hurt. It's broken. I says, yeah, I know that. I said, but you know the Lord, and you know what he's always done for us. You know he's always healed us, and he's not going to fail us now either. She said, yeah, that's right. She says, she agreed with me, you know. So uh, when she got to feel around on his arm, he uh, woke up, started crying again. She rocked him back to sleep again. And uh, when he went to sleep that time, she she went and put him in his bed, and and uh, it was getting kind of late at that time. So, you know, the prayer I prayed, folks, the prayer I prayed was the prayer of faith. You know what faith is? It's it's calling in those things that be not as though they were. It's um, believing you have received, like Jesus taught us in Mark 11 and 24. I prayed the prayer of faith, which was the common way that I prayed. I rarely prayed the prayer that I think the Bible calls importunity. You know, there's the prayer of importunity in Luke, which is to uh, ask, seek, knock. There's nothing wrong with that. It's one way in which we can receive from God. Okay? But I had pretty well trained myself to walk in the prayer of faith, and it suited me. You know, it it felt good to me. And uh, it saved a lot of, to me, it saved a lot of time. Because you can either pray the prayer of importunity and end up at faith. Or you can pray the prayer of faith and start out with faith. And I felt like the prayer of faith is the more spiritual. It's the one Jesus prayed. You understand, when he ministered to people, he prayed, he spoke the words of faith. And he just let it go right there. He stood upon it, you see. And uh, to me, that's what the Lord was training me to do. I didn't feel like I had time to pray about all the things I had to pray for importunely, you know, day and night, you know, day after day, you know. And frankly, a lot of what people call the prayer of importunity is not. It's just thinking that they're going to be heard for their much speaking. You understand? Um, Importunity, everything has to end up in faith. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to be well-pleasing unto God. And and, and a man that's double-minded shouldn't think he's going to receive anything from God, James chapter 1. So, I had pretty well trained myself to be stubborn with the devil. 
and uh, to believe I have received, Mark 11 and 24. Well, my wife, um, she said afterwards, she said, I just knew you weren't going to take him to a doctor. <laughs> and, uh, and so I started praying, and, and of course she did. You know, we, we um, after uh, Justin went to sleep, we both went to bed, and, and frankly, I went to sleep. And my wife prayed diligently because she, she knew I wanted to stay in the wilderness. She knew I wanted to trust in God. She knew I wanted to see the works of God. And uh, so she prayed diligently. She, played, she prayed the prayer of importunity. That's what she did. And I prayed the prayer of faith. And you know that um, Matthew 18 and 19 says, If any two of you agree as touching anything, it shall be done by our Father. Well, basically, <clears throat> we did end up agreeing, but I think it wasn't until about 4 o'clock in the morning because um, she prayed all night. I mean, she prayed till 4 o'clock in the morning. And you know what? She felt a rest and a peace come over her about 4 o'clock in the morning. Actually, the prayer of importunity has always got to end up in faith, folks. You understand? It's not just praying, 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 God's going to hear you because you talk a lot. You know, that's what Jesus said. You're not going to be heard for your much speaking, but some people think that they're trying to wear God down. They're trying to convince him to do something he doesn't want to do or something, I guess, you know. But the truth is, he wants to do it, and he's already done it, and it's not a matter of convincing him. It's a matter of accepting what his word says. You're the one that's got to be convinced, not God, right? Well, you know what? My wife became convinced about 4 o'clock in the morning. She was convinced of the same thing I was the previous evening. So about four o'clock she dozed off for until we got up. And um I left this part out that um Justin woke up in the middle of the night and she went and got him and put him back in bed with us and he went to sleep again. And uh so we we woke up the next morning very carefully and got out of bed and left the room with him sleeping. And we went in the kitchen and you know, we're drinking some coffee, and we heard a heard a noise in the bedroom. We kind of peeked in the door and, and saw him, and he had woken up. And when we, when we saw him and he saw us, he just started grinning. You know, he got a big grin on his face. And uh, so I stepped in, and as I was walking towards the bed, he started running across the bed on all fours. And I knew that... Uh, the healing had manifested, you know. So uh, I just did what I felt to do. I went over to the bed, and he ran across the bed on all fours, and, and he reached his hands up, and I grabbed him by his hands, and I picked him up, and I shook him in the air, and he just giggled, and I threw him up in the air and caught him, you know. He was totally healed. You could do anything with his hands you wanted to. He didn't feel a thing. The Lord had healed him. We basically like I said, came to agreement about 4 o'clock in the morning through the prayer of faith and the prayer of importunity and uh, entered into the rest. You know, everything that God has provided is in the rest. You see, what is the rest? The rest is, he that hath believed doth enter into that rest. When you truly believe and you act upon it and you stand upon it, you know what you feel is peace. Rest, 
You know that God has done this thing. See. And um, there remaineth therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God, the Bible says. A Sabbatismos, literally. The word there is uh, the only one like it in the Bible. When it says there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, that word is the only one like it in the Bible. It's not like the word Sabbath anywhere else. It means a continual rest. It means God wants us in peace all the time because of his promises. We don't want to even let, like, like I quoted to you earlier, we don't want to even leave one promise out of entering into his rest. Now, he promised that he'd already healed us. And, you know, we should be rested in that because he's already said it's done. By his stripes you were healed. So, therefore, we should be resting. We should be at peace because God said it's already done. We shouldn't be anxious or troubled or seeking healing. We should be accepting healing as a free gift. It's like salvation. How long do you have to seek salvation? Don't you just have to accept salvation since God's promised it? Yes, of course. And what is healing? Salvation for the body. That's all it is. Many other provisions are just salvation for the circumstances that you're in. See, all you have to do is believe God's word and you automatically enter into the rest and that's where the provision is. The provision is in the rest. Man works for six days but rests on the seventh. Well, we've entered into that seventh day, folks. Jesus Christ. If you abide in him, you abide in his rest. He's the Lord of the Sabbath, the Bible says. That means if you're obeying him, you are keeping that New Testament Sabbath. If you're believing his word, you are in that New Testament Sabbath. Because you're rested. Well, we... We uh, joined together in rest about 4 o'clock in the morning. And God did the rest. And he's been faithful in everything that we've done that with. You know, when we resisted the devil's words, turned away his warnings, his threats, his fears, he's been faithful. I'm going to tell you another instance that actually sometimes when I share this, I get broken up, literally. I just... Start crying sometimes. I just can't. Uh, the thing was just so wonderful to see, you know, that um, when I recount the story. It's, actually, it's only been just in, in, in recent years that I've been able to recount this story without <laughs> breaking up, you know. I was in, when I first came to Pensacola, um, there was a lady that came by witnessing and she came to our house and she, you know, told us about her circumstances and situations. And um, so we asked her where she fellowshiped. She told us and she invited us over there. And, and um, I did a very unusual thing. I, I felt to go. So something strange happened. I, when we walked in actually the back door of this church, there was a, a prophetess that stood up in the very front of the church. It was a long old building, and she saw me coming in the back door, and she pointed her finger at me, and she started prophesying. And um, I didn't know it, but this was the first time that woman had been in the church, too. 
And uh, she started prophesying, you know, just a, just a glorious prophecy, you know. And, uh, you know, she's prophesying how that she, she saw the Word of God living in me, stronger than she'd seen in any man, and so, and so on and so forth. Some, some just glorious things. And I knew, I didn't know what was happening at the time, but I found out that what the Lord was doing was opening a door for me. Because the pastor was very impressed. So he invited me to teach. And lo and behold, I ended up doing most of all the teaching there because it just kind of dried him up. I mean, he really wasn't a man of the word anyway, but uh, he was impressed with the word. And um, so I ended up doing a lot of teaching there. And one day I was I was sharing, and um, this couple comes in, and uh, the girl got saved during that meeting. I mean, uh, she was very saved, you know. Very quiet girl, but she was just so impressed with the Lord. And um, so she, um, after the meeting was over, she wanted some counsel. She had asked that, that the pastor and, uh, and I would, uh, would give her some counsel. And, and of course, <clears throat> we invited some of the women in there. You know, the, the church secretary and uh, several people were there. And so she began to recount this story. It was very interesting. Just um, three days before this, she had come from the the public health unit here in Pensacola. And um, she said that they had done the, the three tests on her, and they discovered that um, her, uh, her pregnancy had been aborted, that her child had died. This had happened three days before this, and now she was in a church. She'd never been in a church before. But this brought her to church, so to speak. I'm using the word church the way the world uses the word church, you understand? So, this had brought her and her husband to church. And um, she got saved, I guess, because of the turmoil that she was going through. And she began to tell us what the problem was. She said that... Um, she had purposely aborted this pregnancy because she had been raped and uh, she didn't want her husband to know about it. This was a white girl and she had been raped by a black man and she didn't want her husband to know about it. This was a friend of her husband's and she was afraid of what was going to happen either to her or to her husband or to this man. Either way. Well, Make a long story short, um, after she got through telling us the situation and asking for advice, this has been three days now, you know, since they had put the uh, the heartbeat monitor on her and the sonogram on her and the, uh, taken a sample of the fluid, I believe this is what they did. At any rate, they told her for sure that her baby was dead and that she was going to have to, you know, come back and, and have have a DNC. That's what they had told her at the public health unit. Well, she never went back. And um, But she did come to that church, and she heard the word that I'd shared, and she came to the Lord. And now she was before us asking us what to do. You know? Well, first thing that came to my mind was, I asked her, I said, uh, Renee, her name was Renee. I said, Renee, um, is there somebody that you haven't forgiven in your life, you know? 
She thought for a minute. She says, yeah, there's just one person I've never really been able to forgive. And I said, well, who's that? Tell us. She said, well, it's a doctor that I think purposely aborted one of my children when I was on welfare. And I said, well, do you understand that you've just done the same thing? I said, don't you think you'd better forgive him? And she says, yeah, you're right. I said, why don't you pray for him? And so she did. She started praying for him. She asked the Lord to, to forgive him. She asked the Lord to save him. And um, when she got through with her prayer, I said, Renee, would you like to receive the Holy Spirit? And she says, yes, I want everything God's got for me. So we prayed for her. We laid hands on her and prayed for her to receive the Holy Spirit. And you have to, you have to know that this woman was a very quiet person, you know, not an extroverted person at all, very reserved, introverted type person, you know. But when we prayed for her, she just got jubilant, and she started actually dancing in the room. She'd never danced before, and she started dancing and speaking in tongues. And uh, so when she calmed down a little bit, I, I said to her, I said, I said, Renee, you're a new creation. I said, There's, I don't see any reason why the Lord can't resurrect your baby. Now, this is a thought that had come into my head. I can't say it was a loud voice. It really wasn't. I wasn't uh, greatly impressed. You know, it was just that um, I, I, I actually believe that this is part of our commission. You know, when Jesus sent out his disciples, he sent them out to heal the sick and cast out devils and raise the dead. That was part of it, you know. And, um, of course, when he sent, when he was leaving, he, he ordained them to go and make disciples and to teach them to observe everything that he told those first disciples. That's what he said. Which means, of course, that this was passed on to us too, folks. And I believe that raising the dead is something we're going to see commonly in the days to come. In the days of the ministry of the man-child and the witnesses and um, in the time of the latter rain, we're going to see this commonly. In fact, you can go to some other countries and it's a lot more common than it is here in the United States because so many people are so worldly wise here, you know. They don't come to the Lord as a child. So, when I got through saying that, actually, the room mostly emptied. When I said that, I mean, there was um, the church secretary and several other people that were there, the pastor. And when I said that, I, I invited my wife to come over and lay hands on Renee's tummy while I prayed. Well, all the time this was happening, these people were leaving out the door. So I just commanded the spirit of life to come back in that baby in the name of Jesus. Just a simple prayer, very quick. You know, didn't take long. And then I gave uh, Renee, who was a brand new Christian, knew nothing about the scriptures hardly. I just pointed out a few scriptures to her. Uh, one of them was Mark 11 and 24. All things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing uh, uh, in prayer, believe that you receive them, received, literally it says received them, and you shall have them. Believe that you received them, and you shall have them. Or some versions say have received. But it's past tense. And I pointed this out to her in a few other verses, and I just 
I pointed out to her, I says, now Renee, you have to walk by faith. You have to accept this as a gift from God. We've prayed. We believe we've received. And now we just thank God for it. And don't let anybody talk you out of it. You see what it says here? Believe you received. I pointed it out to her. She said, okay. She she was a very childlike person. And um, really, that's why she received this, is because she was childlike with the Lord. And uh, she knew that she had received something wonderful. She knew she'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, I think she was full of faith. So, I noticed, you know, during this time, like I was saying, everybody was just leaving the room. So, uh, when I was through with Renee, I, my wife and I, we walked out. And um, we started walking down one of the halls. And a door opened. And um, the pastor reached out there and kind of grabbed my arm to get my attention. And he kind of pulled me into the room. So. I went in there to see what was going on, and and uh, they were all in there. They were all in another room. And the pastor said, David, God's not going to do that for her. I said, why do you say that? He said, well, she killed that baby. I said, well, I don't think you understand grace very well. I said, that's a new creation in there. That person's not guilty. Not guilty for what that other person did a few days ago. That's a new creation. And I don't think you understand grace very good. And I said, besides, if I want to believe it, just let me believe it. So I I um, walked out of the room and left him standing there. And um, the next day, I was at home. See, uh, another thing I probably should have told you before is that her and her husband were actually in the mission. This was a church that had a mission. And um, they were staying in that mission, or at least they did at that time. They came there and they stayed in the mission at that time. So the next day, um, Renee called me and she said, David, I wanted to go down to the public health unit, but nobody over here wants to take me. I said, well, well, I'll take you. So I went down and picked her up and... She wanted to go, she decided she wanted to go be checked out again. And I said, well, well, remember, Renee, what we said, what we talked about. And I began to go through it again, you know, just show, show her how faith worked, how believing you have received um, is, is how the miracle is manifested. And uh, so she understood that. And I said, now, remember, I said, no matter what anybody says, you've already heard what God says. And I said, don't let anybody change your mind. And she shook her head, yeah. yeah so so I took her down there and they, um, to the public health unit. And um, she told the doctor that she wanted to be checked out again. Now, I don't, I don't discourage that necessarily, but I knew where her faith was. And I knew it was, um, it was young faith. I don't recommend that people go and ask man anything about what God says he's already done. Do you understand? Because some people can't stand that trial of their faith when man tells them, no, it's not done. But I did tell her, I mean, it was her decision and I didn't get in her way. I did tell her, I says, no matter what man says, you know what God says, right? 
She said, yeah. So she told them that she wanted to be checked out again. I mean, the first thing they told her was, you should have come back before now. Um, you can get blood poisoning like this. It's, it's dangerous. And, uh, you know, you should have had your DNC, you know. don't even know exactly what that is, but I know it has something to do with uh, the abortion. At any rate, um, so they, they sent her into a room with a technician who um, who did the same thing, basically put the heartbeat monitor on her and uh, the sonogram. And uh, when they did, the technician told her, it says, ma'am, this baby is dead. And you need to have a, a DNC now. And when the technician said that, Renee said, well, I just don't accept that. And when she said that, the baby came to life right there. The baby suddenly started moving around. The heartbeat monitor recorded the heartbeat. They saw the baby moving around. And God did a miracle. You see, this, this little childlike person did not accept what men said. Did not accept the diagnosis from Egypt. But accepted the diagnosis from the Lord. Even though she couldn't see it. Here's a baby Christian now. She's, she's only just a day old in the Lord. See, some people think, well, I, I need to grow up in the Lord before I can see miracles. No, as a matter of fact, you might see more than people that have been in the Lord for 40, 50, 60 years. Did you, you understand what I'm saying? It's because of the childlike faith that you have in the Lord, especially when you first come to the Lord. You know, a lot of Christians, they sit in churches and get discouraged the whole time they're there because they hear so much reasoning about why God can't do this today and why this won't happen. Carnal reasoning. They sit and listen to that carnal reasoning until they die. The first, let's, let me say, the second church I went into, the first one I only stayed probably a month or a month and a half or something like that. The second one I went into, I realized, believed the God, God's Word more. And, um, but I noticed that the new Christians were the ones that were receiving the signs and the wonders and the miracles from God. The older Christians, they couldn't even seem to get a healing from God. They'd go to the altar time after time in this particular church. That was the way they did it, you know. They wanted the altar to get prayed for. And it was just time after time after time. But the young Christians were getting miracles, healings. And in particular, it was the young Christians that weren't in particularly following only the teaching they were getting in that church, but were studying faith. And they were getting miracles. Well, you know, this, this little girl was had no knowledge of the Word, other than just the few verses I'd shared with her. This is what amazed me, is just how much of the Word do you need to get a miracle? Not very much, but you have to hold to what you know, right? It's kind of like a mustard seed. You have to hold fast to what you know God said and deny what man says. If you want a miracle, that's what you have to do. Well. You know, this baby was born, and um, 
We don't know what God did. But it was a beautiful little white baby. And the problem that she would have had with her husband was solved. God solved it. You know, I don't, you know, I don't know what she might have told him later, but God solved the problem. And I don't know what he did in the womb. You know, we can't put anything beyond God, can we? God is awesome. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. But we need that childlike faith. We need to be able to put our trust in him and not be moved by what we see, feel, hear, you know. God's going to commonly raise the dead in the days to come. You know, let me give you another example about how the Lord taught me not to listen to anything, anything but what he spoke in his covenant. This happened about, let me think, about 18 years ago, this happened to me. And um, I started feeling pain, and I started passing a lot of blood. And uh, now I was walking by faith in the Lord, and he had never failed me. And I'm going to tell you the truth. You know, I, I had entered into the rest. You know why? Because when this happened, I had absolutely no fear. I never even questioned what I was going to do. I, 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 when it was made known to me, well, actually, I, this has been happening for two or three days, I think, and I had to make a trip to Louisiana because I had relatives over there. And uh, there was a, a, a brother of mine, a, a, a spiritual brother over there, that was a friend of mine, and we'd always talked faith together, and, and uh, we were both full of faith, and we wanted to live the life of faith. And I asked him to pray for me. That's the only person I ever had to pray for me for that particular thing. I asked him to pray for me, and I agreed. I received it by faith right there, you know. And um, actually, I'd prayed, and the word came to me, cancer. Now, you can't always trust that because the devil will always threaten you with just about anything, won't he? Just to make you be fearful or give up, you know. But uh, that was the word that came to me, cancer. Well, when I came back here to um, Pensacola, I felt the next day to go to a, a Christian bookstore. It wasn't the one I always go to. It was further away. It was on, you know, twice as far away, but I felt to go to that one. And I'd only been there a few times, but so I went over there, and when I walked in the door, the the lady that owned the store and another woman who who I'd recognized, she had told me was her prayer partner, um, saw me come in, and they started walking over towards me, and they said, um, "David, we've been uh, praying for different ministers that we know." We were praying for you, and uh, the Lord spoke to us, and he said that, that you were having a battle with the spirit of cancer, but that you, were, you would win. And I said, well, thank you. I think that was a confirmation to me. So I basically told them what had been happening, and I thanked them for their prayers and, and agreed with them. So on the way home, I decided 
that when I got home, I was going to ask the Lord to give me a word concerning this situation. And uh, you know what? Let me say this. You really don't need but one word. <laughs> and it's already been spoken, right? By the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. 1 Peter 2.24, right? It's um, God's not going to change his mind. And it's kind of like, let me point something out to you. If you remember um, that um, Balaam, um, was asked by Balak to curse the children of Israel. And uh, basically he didn't agree with that, but he went to God because he was bribed by um, the possibility of rewards. And God told him, yeah, go ahead. But when he went, the angel of the Lord was waiting there with the sword to kill him when he went. God told him, yeah, go ahead. In other words... If you didn't hear the first word I told you, I'll give you another one. If you don't want that word, I'll give you one that you might like. So be careful of that, folks. If you don't like the first word he gives you, don't go asking him for another one. Because he might tell you to go ahead, like he did Balaam. And only Balaam's mule saved him, right? Well, I, told, I asked the Lord I was going to ask him for a... When I got home, I was going to ask him for a word concerning this situation. So when I got home, I just prayed, and then I flipped my Bible open, and I stuck my finger down on Isaiah 38 and verse 2. Not, on, not just on the verse, but on, these, on this phrase, uh, Thou shalt die and not live. That was the phrase I stuck my finger down. I said, Wow! <laughs> and I thought on that for a minute and I said I told the Lord I said Lord I says this is not according to your covenant with me this is not according to your promise with me you told me that by the stripes of Jesus I was healed in 1 Peter 2.24 you told me in Galatians 3 and 13 that Jesus became a curse for me that you put my curse on him you told me in Colossians that Reconciliation had been made. There was an exchange, you know, that he had taken my curse and given me his blessing. I says, you, you've taught me never to depart from the new covenant. You taught me this, Lord. So I don't accept this word. I say, well, that's pretty arrogant, you know. <laughs> well, no, it was really what God wanted from me. He was trying me. He wanted to see if I would depart from what he had taught me, from what the clear New Covenant says. I hear people getting words like this all the time, and they accept them. But they don't realize they're contrary to the Word. God's trying them to see if they will depart from the Word. And they do. Because they, they believe in the voice of the Lord more than they believe in the Word. But you know the voice of the Lord, folks, is what you become familiar with when you read the Word. He's not going to depart from the Word. It's called an everlasting covenant in Hebrews 13, meaning he ain't going to change it. And he warns you if you add to it or take away from it, in Revelation 22, that the curses of this book are upon you. And he'll take away your part in the tree of life and from the holy city. That's pretty dangerous. So God tells us not to depart from this word no matter what. Well, here I am asking the Lord for a sign, and, and he gives me, Thou shalt die and not live. And I, I said, Lord, I just don't accept this. I don't accept it because it's not according to what you've taught me, 
And I don't believe that that's what you want me to do is accept this. So I'm asking you for another word that's in agreement with what you've taught me. I don't know why I would have to get that because, frankly, God was just being merciful with me because, obviously, uh, we don't need anything more than what God's already told us concerning the new covenant. I've studied it enough, stood on it enough, received enough miracles and signs and wonders and been healed every time. So why would I need a word from the Lord? It was really immature of me. But God was merciful the second time because I I overcame that trial. I um, I didn't give in to the temptation. And I didn't accept that word. It was contrary to everything he taught me. So I, I said, I'm, I'm asking you for another word, Lord. This time I'm, I'm, I'm going to believe something that's in agreement with, with what you've taught me. And I flipped the Bible open again, not looking down, and just stuck my finger down on Psalms 118 and 17. Right on the first phrase, and it said, I shall not die but live. It's amazing how close those two phrases are, but exactly opposite to one another. And the only places in the Bible that they are. Isn't that amazing? One and then the other. I shall not die but live. And I told the Lord, I said, thank you, Lord. I agree with that. I thank you for that, and I receive it in Jesus' name. Well, you know, I went on like this for a week or so, and the pain got less and less, and the blood got less and less until I was healed. And um, I'd like to exhort you, no matter what you hear that you might think is from God, or even from people, don't accept it if it's not according to the Word of God. Don't accept anything. Don't accept anything you see with your eyes. Don't accept anything you hear with your ears. Don't accept your emotions especially if any of these things are contrary to what you read in the Word of God according to the promise. Rest. Enter into the rest. Well, you know, that wasn't the end of the story. Fifteen years later, God tried me again. Fifteen years later, I started having severe heart pains. And on top of that, I was very cold on the left side of my body. Very cold. I couldn't get warmed up. And uh, I knew I had a circulation problem, and it seemed like I had a cardiovascular problem, naturally speaking. But I don't accept those things. And... Uh, The amazing thing was, at the same time, now I didn't tell these people this, but at the same time, there were two people in our assembly that had dreams that I died of a heart attack. <laughs> and let me tell you, both of them had been pretty accurate in their dreams, too. Both of them had dreams that I died of a heart attack. Now, that seemed like a pretty good confirmation, right? But I, I learned something you need to... You need to walk by faith. It's not just hear faith. You need to walk by faith. You know, when, when this started happening, I was, you know, I would walk a little bit every once in a while, you know, walk a few, a mile or so, not too much, because I stayed busy all the time and just really didn't have time to do much more than that. But So I would get out and start walking, and and my heart would start acting up, and, and the devil tell me, you're going to be laying out on the side of the road here somewhere if you don't stop this, you know, with your heart and so on and so forth. You know you know how the devil talks to you and tells you things. And 
And I knew it was the devil. So I just called his bluff and I started jogging. And, um, and I really started, you know, working up a sweat, you know. And I did this for a little while and, and you know what my wife pointed out to me? She pointed out that, David, it's been 15 years since that last time you had that, the threat of death, you know, so to speak. And immediately it clicked in my mind, Isaiah 38, that Hezekiah was given 15 more years. When the Lord told him, Thou shalt die and not live, he he went to the Lord and, um, you know, um, the Lord added 15 years to his life. And I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, are you saying to me that you only added 15 years to my life? And now uh, that I'm Hezekiah and that uh, this is the time for me to go on to be with you? And you know what I heard? The Lord said, yep, that's right. He said, yes, that's right. So I thought on that. And I said, Lord, I still don't believe that you would have me depart from the promise of the covenant. So I don't accept that either. You say, does God do such a thing? What did God do with Abraham? Take your son, sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. He was trying him. He wanted to see what he would do. And he overcame. He knew that even if he did sacrifice his son, that he was coming back with his son. Matter of fact, he said, I and the lad go to yonder mountain and will return. He knew that God would have to resurrect him from the dead to keep his promise because he knew God was faithful to keep his promise. And, and I know that too. God is faithful to keep his promise. So when the Lord told me that and I meditated on that, I, think, I said, Lord, I can't see any difference in this situation than the last one 15 years ago. It still doesn't please you for me to depart from your word. So I just don't accept this. And of course, I, I kept on calling the devil's bluff. I kept on uh, jogging. and It had nothing to do with jogging, of course. It, it had to do with me walking by faith. You know, if you're careful because you think that you're having a heart attack or a heart problem, you know, then obviously you're acting in agreement with the curse. You're not acting in agreement with the promise, right? The Bible says faith without works is dead. You know, if you really believe the Word of God, you can walk it out. Peter believed the Word of God and he stepped out on the water. That's see, miracles come when you act on the Word of God. And James chapter 2 says, Yea, a man will, will say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith apart from thy works, and I by my works will show thee my faith. See, you don't, you can't prove faith unless you can act in agreement with it. See, people act very schizophrenic sometimes. They say they believe, but all their actions prove the contrary. And all their words prove the contrary. You know, what we have to do to have completed faith is to act in agreement with what we believe. 
the Bible says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So friends, if, you, um, if you've come to believe in the Word of God and trust in it, start walking it out, and you'll see it. You know what? This is a, this is a wilderness lesson here. They had to walk through that wilderness without murmuring and complaining, speaking against the promise, and the majority failed, obviously. Joshua and Caleb spoke in agreement with the promise. They received the promised land. They entered into the land of rest because they agreed with the promise. And we're being tried the same way, folks. You know, every day we're being tried to see whether we're going to agree with what the Bible says. Do you know that you don't have a problem with demons? You don't have a problem with sin. You don't have a problem with sickness. You don't have a problem with provision. The Lord Jesus solved all of those problems already at the cross. He says so. What we got a problem with is walking in agreement with what he said. When we enter into the rest, we're at peace with God. We're no longer fearful. We don't dwell on the need. We dwell on the provision. We're like um, when the children of Israel were dying of the fiery serpents in the wilderness. And they cried unto Moses, and Moses cried unto the Lord, and the Lord told Moses to raise them up a, a serpent on a pole. And, um, of course, the, the medical profession uses that today to represent them, but actually... It's just the opposite. The serpent on the pole was a symbol of God's healing power, quite contrary to man's and totally outside of man's. You know, what they had to do in order to get healing when Moses raised up the serpent on the pole was to get their eyes off the snake bite and on the serpent on the pole. They had to accept what the Bible says about Jesus. Jesus became accursed for us. He became sin. Do you understand? God put on him our sin and our curse. And we don't have it anymore. We don't have it anymore. Except the truth. It's very simple. You are healed. You are delivered from sin. You are blessed. That's the gospel. That's the very, very good news of what the Lord's accomplished for us. You don't have it anymore. So they got their eyes off the snake bite and on the cure. And they got miraculously cured. Today, men go to the medical profession because of the very opposite. They don't believe that they were cured at the cross. They believe that they have to get cured. And so they basically run back to Egypt. Because they don't understand the gospel. The good news that Jesus has already solved this problem for them. It is already accomplished. It is finished. And all you have to do is accept it and enter into this rest. What is the rest? It's resting from your own works. Read it in Hebrews 4. It's resting from your own works. If you believe that God has already done this for you, you can rest from your own works. 
Well, you know, brethren, uh, we've been talking quite a bit for some time now, actually, about um, living in the wilderness. And um, maybe some of you are getting tired of this. <laughs> I don't know, you know. You know, let me ask you this, you folks out there in the radio audience. Any of you that are getting tired of this, raise your hand. Okay, I didn't see any hands, so I'm going to keep going. <laughs> That's a joke. Any of you that raised your hands, you you got a problem, okay? We're going to go on with this. Let me, let me start in Hebrews chapter 12. Um, verse 25. And, of course, the text here is is about going to Zion, you know, going to the city of God, being a member of the, the spirits of just men made perfect. That's the text. But we've talked about that, so I'm going to go on here just a little bit. Verse 25 says... See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escaped not when they refused him that warned them on earth, much more shall not we escape who turn away from him that warneth from heaven. You know, there are some people that um, they plan an escape. Okay, they think they're going in a in a great escape, you know. Obviously, the escape here is is not talking about their kind of escape, but they believe they're going to escape. But they're refusing what God is warning from heaven. They're not getting prepared. You know, I learned a long time ago that whether you go or whether you stay, you have to do the same thing. You have to prepare, right? So even if your theology is wrong, but you're preparing to walk in the steps of Jesus Christ, and you're preparing to to be holy, um, you're, you'll be ready for whatever comes, right? Well, I hope you've been following us enough to know that that uh, tribulation is is what God has prepared for His people and what's coming upon this world. We have to be careful to um, accept what he has warned us from heaven. And what is he going to do? The same thing he's doing right now, all around us, as a matter of fact. He is going to shake this world. Uh, we're in right now a, a pre-trib shaking that God is going to use to bring the new world order, as a matter of fact. You know, some people say God doesn't have anything to do with that. Oh, yes, He does, folks. He is bringing, He is joining the whole world together against apostate Christianity. And um, just as He had throughout the Scriptures, you know, every time God raised up a new world order, it was to persecute His people who had fallen into apostasy. God just repeats history. He always took credit for that. By the way, read Isaiah chapter 10. The Lord took credit for raising up the Assyrian Empire against His people. He put it in their hearts, He even says there. He put it in their hearts to come against His people and plunder His people. And now, since His people are worldwide and not just little natural Israel, God is raising up a worldwide beast to come against His people. So it's God, folks. God's doing it. God's behind it. God works all things after the counsel of His own will. That. All things doesn't leave much out, does it? Just because he uses vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor, some people like to give credit to the vessels of dishonor, but no, it's the Lord. It's all the Lord. He's working all things together for our good. And what does he say here in the rest of this 
text, he says, um, um, verse 26, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more will I make to tremble not the earth only, but also the heaven. Yet once more. He's going to cause to tremble the earth and the heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that have been made, that those things which remain, excuse me, that have been made, that those things which are not shaken may remain. My, my Bible is so old right here, folks, it's really kind of blurred out. <laughs> I've written over the notes and everything. Um, you know what, folks? There's God's going to shake everything so that only His kingdom remains. Um, I was thinking today how that um, the reason for the shaking is to is to break all of the strength of man, to break all of the power of man's ability to save himself. You know why so many people are going to run to the Lord in these days? is because they've always depended upon their own power in the past. But uh, God's going to take away the ability of people to make a living for themselves. You know, uh, right here where we are on the Gulf Coast of America, uh, we've been buffeted time and time again with these hurricanes that have come through. And uh, Katrina, you know, that uh, smashed New Orleans and uh, flooded New Orleans and and um, hurt the economy very much as far as knocking out about 80% of the oil production in the Gulf. And, um, and um, how is that has really hurt, you know, the truckers, the trucking industry, the farmers, you know, um, a great catastrophe has happened to America here. And uh, we're just seeing the beginning of these things. You know, uh, it's going to get a lot worse. Places in this particular country that uh, <coughs> never do see a hurricane uh, have seen hurricanes. But uh, some of those that don't see hurricanes are going to see earthquakes, are going to see nuclear attacks, are going to see biological attacks. Uh, it will come to the place where there won't be jobs. There won't be gasoline. It will come to the place where the water is poisoned. It will come to the place where there's nothing that man can do to save you, and you won't be able to do anything in the flesh to save yourself. Because everything that can be shaken will be shaken, so that men will turn to the only Savior. So that in our weakness... God, God's power will be manifest. His power is made perfect in our weakness. The Bible goes on to say here, it says, Wherefore, receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us have grace whereby we may offer service well-pleasing to God with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. So, not only is he shaking the earth, he's burning the earth. He's a consuming fire. You know, I had a uh, 
back when I was a very young Christian, my wife had a had a dream, and she saw me um, standing on a rock in the middle of a, of a vast ocean. And uh, it seemed that this was the only thing that was above the water. I was standing on this rock with um, with uh, leg braces on, like uh, a polio victim would have. And of course, at that time, I was a very young Christian, didn't know much about, you know, the ways and the work of the Lord. But the Lord really spoke to me through that. He um, eventually he added revelation to what I saw there and he showed me that the waters represented the the curse of the word on this world you know the waters in the time of Noah uh, represented the curse of the word upon the world of the wicked who had disobeyed God's word but at the same time the waters were salvation to Noah and those that were in the ark floating above you know the word of God is uh, like God said through Moses uh, I set before you this day a blessing and a cursing See, of course, the Word of God is a blessing to those that are submitted to it, walking in it, and humble to it. And it's a curse to everyone else who rebels against it. Well, the curse is coming to to take away everything that God's people have depended upon besides Him. You know, He's a jealous God. He wants to be our Savior. And He's bringing us to a place of great weakness. You know, weakness is a part of God's salvation. It's not just faith. You know, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But the thing is, we're so used to uh, to uh, working things out ourselves rather than trusting in the Lord, putting our faith in Him, and resting in Him to bring it to pass. And so uh, the biggest hindrance to receiving the benefits of God is, is us. And God is shaking everything so that we... In other words, He's, he's uh, judging all the gods of Egypt, what God said about His... People who were in bondage in Egypt, in bondage to the old man, you know, they uh, that represented Christians today who are coming to their wilderness experience because Christians today have been in bondage in Egypt, bondage to the old man, the Egyptian. You know, the the old man was the one that died in the baptism of the Red Sea, and the new man, of course, the Israelite, is the one that came up. Well, the old man was the Egyptian, and they were in bondage. And the Lord came to set them free from that bondage. He brought those judgments upon Egypt to set them free from bondage. Folks, that's us. That's the people of God. They've been in bondage in Egypt, coming to our wilderness. The wilderness, of course, Revelation 12, Revelation 17 tells us the wilderness is the tribulation. We're coming to the same time that Israel was when they were about to start their wilderness. Coming to the same time. And I learned something about those those braces. They, they represented a, an external strength that was going to come to me. A strength from God that would come to me that would enable me to stand on the rock of Jesus Christ when the curse is everywhere around us. You know, this is what God's going to do. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, saith the Lord. This is what God's going to do to a people who cannot save themselves, cannot provide for themselves in a wilderness experience. God Almighty is going to do it. He is going to be our strength. When our strength is worn out, He's going to be there. 
And it's like uh, it's like it says here that he is a consuming fire. That's kind of a parallel revelation there. He's a consuming fire. He's going to burn up all the wood, hay, and stubble through the tribulation that we're going through. Only the gold and the silver and the precious stones will be left of those who are truly his elect. You know, I, I used to work uh, many years ago. I worked for um, Exxon Refinery in Baton Rouge. And um, I got a little revelation one day. I I was a, a machinist at one time. I was a supervisor at another time. But when I was a machinist, I worked on a lot of pumps and, and drivers and turbines and jet engines and things like that out there. It was interesting to me. I was a very mechanically minded person. so. But we worked on a lot of, a lot of pumps. You think about a pump being a, a shaft that goes through uh, a housing, and inside the housing there's impellers or, or something to pump the fluid. But what seals the, the fluid from coming down the shaft and coming out of the pump? Well, usually it's a seal, but sometimes it was what we called packing. And uh, packing is something that's kind of like rope with, uh, with uh, different substances mixed in with it, and you'd pack that rope around the hole and use a gland with bolts to pull the packing up in there to seal between the shaft and the housing of the pump. And uh, some of you know what I'm talking about, some of you don't. Well, um, it's a funny thing, the shaft might be turning 36, 3700 RPMs, or even more in some cases. It's, it, that shaft's running very, very fast, and depending upon the size of the shaft, is, there's a lot of friction there. And no matter what kind of packing you would put in there, that friction, if you tightened up the gland too tight to try to seal off the, the space, well, that friction would cause that packing to get very, very hot. And in some cases, it would even smoke, and in some cases, it would even catch on fire. And so you had to loose the packing just enough to have enough fluid to come through there that it wouldn't leak out, but at the same time it would lubricate the packing. This was kind of a ticklish situation. If the packing got a little old, sometimes it would just you couldn't tighten up on it at all. It would smoke, and so it would leak. Well, there were some ingenious fellows that came up with some a certain kind of packing. Uh, we always had this problem of, of go, coming up on an, a, a pump that had been running a while and trying to tighten the packing up, and it starts smoking. And if you didn't tighten it up, it would leak. So it was kind of a catch-22 situation. Well, these guys came up with a, a, a grand idea. They, uh, and this is not a commercial now. I'm just <laughs> trying to point something out to you. They, uh, they, uh, the salesman brought to us some, some packing that they called uh, graph oil. And I tried it one day in a pump that was very ticklish. If you put it in there and tighten it up very much, the packing, any kind of packing we had, it would just start smoking, uh, and and it was a um, hydrocarbon. So if it got hot enough, it would catch it on fire, literally coming out of the, the hole of the shaft of the packing. You know, so they brought this graph oil, and I I was going to test it for them, and I shoved that stuff up in there, and I was you know tightened down on it, and um, I found I didn't have to tighten down on it very much until it sealed the leak off. And uh, the salesman said, well, tighten down on it some more. I said, well, I don't want it to catch on fire and burn up. He said, no, don't worry about it. Just tighten down on it some more. So I did. I tightened down on it some more and tightened down on it some more. And I says, man, this is pretty good stuff. It don't ever catch on fire. He said, well, tighten down on it some more. So I did. I tightened down on it some more. <laughs> Nothing was leaking out. But it still wasn't smoking. It wasn't catching on fire. 
I said, what's the deal here? How come this stuff doesn't burn? It's, it's, it's really great stuff, you know. He said, it doesn't burn because it's already burned. It's totally burned. It's uh, graphite. It's all graphite. There's no rope in there. There's no nothing. It's all graphite. It's all totally burned. It can't burn because it's totally burned when you put it in there. <laughs> so, hey, that's an idea, you know. You know what? That's what's fixing to happen, folks, is we're going through the fire. You know, ashes ashes are pure. You understand? There's you, you understand? Remember when they they burned up all the animals over there in England with, with the the disease that they had? They didn't want, to, but they they burned them all up because what's left is not going to cause any disease. You see, um, ash, uh, fire uh, purifies any contaminant. You know, and what's left. Can't can't really be destroyed, you know. It's already burned. It can't be burnt anymore. And um, you know, it was just like he was comparing this our God being a consuming fire with everything that can be shaken will be shaken. We're we're going in the fire, folks, to be purified, so that this world can't touch us, and so that we won't ultimately go in the big fire, you know. Um, God is is going to consume by His grace, by His power. He's going to make us able to go through this consuming fire until there's nothing that the world can do to us. Until there's nothing but His fruit and His life in us. I'm going to go over to um, Exodus chapter 15. Now you remember the story, the Israelites... The old man was put to death at the Red Sea, right? Well, they celebrated the victory in Exodus 15. It's, it's, Paul called it our baptism. You know what we're doing at our baptism? We're celebrating the victory of the death of the old man. He died at the cross, right? The Bible says here, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord. And spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider hath he thrown into the sea. Well, the horse and the rider represented the the old man who was coming after them to bring them back into bondage. And uh, the horse, of course, was the beast, the flesh that had been harnessed to serve the old man, right? And... uh, This is what went down in the Red Sea. The death of the flesh. I'm not talking about the body. I'm just talking about the the appetites of the the natural man to serve the mind of the flesh, you know. What he's saying was they lost the battle. The waters put them to death in the Red Sea. The horse and the strength of of the flesh that was harnessed, excuse me, the rider, and the strength of the flesh that was harnessed to serve that rider, which was the old man, died in the Red Sea, died in the baptism. And they were celebrating the victory. Same thing we do at baptism. I mean, we we reckon ourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God. We reckon that the old man can no longer do us harm. We continue to walk by faith in that. You know, 
Many people believe the devil. They believe the old man. They believe the world. And you know what? They give authority to the old man to bring them back into bondage. If you believe what happened, for instance, in Romans chapter 6, that we're united with Christ in the likeness of his death through baptism, um, so that we can have his resurrection life, and we consider the old man to be dead, and the new man to be alive. If you walk in that faith, when you get in the trials and tribulations of life, and the old flesh wants to take over, and the devil tells you, you don't have authority, you don't have power, you don't have more power than he, he's the giant in the land, basically, and you just can't overcome him. If you will celebrate the victory that you got when you became united with Christ in the likeness of his death, You'll celebrate that victory by faith. You'll find that you have power over the old man. The thing is, the Israelites always kept kept forgetting this fact. And they kept giving the old man authority. You know, uh, verse 2 says, The Lord is my strength and my song. What is it when when the horse is put to death? You know, you're no longer counting on the... um, the flesh of the beast any longer. You're not no longer trusting in his power. And um, the Lord then becomes your strength and your song. And he becomes your salvation. You know, the people that live in Egypt, they trust in the Egyptians for their salvation. They trust in the strength of the flesh to save them in any situation. Which is the reason God wanted to bring these people into the wilderness. So they could no longer trust in the power of man. No longer trust in their old man, their flesh, to save them. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. You understand that we're going back to our Father's God. I'm talking about, you know, Paul said that you have not many fathers. I begat you through the gospel. I'm talking about the apostolic fathers. We're going back to our Father's God. Not the, not the God of apostate Christianity that so many Christians are in bondage to now. We're going back to our Father's God. And uh, we're going to trust in that salvation. And you know, folks, even after you've been baptized and you believe the good news, the gospel, that, uh, that the old man is not a problem anymore. The Lord's already dealt with him. And sin's not a problem anymore. The Lord's already dealt with that. And sickness is not a problem. The Lord's already dealt with all that, you know. But the, de- the, the enemy comes after you sometimes. And you're, you're convinced, sometimes you become convinced by him that he still has power over you. And uh, verse 9 says, The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword and my hand shall destroy them. But God had another plan, didn't He? You know, they followed. They followed the righteous into the Red Sea and and were destroyed. And you know, the waters of God's word are meant to fulfill what baptism gave us by faith, as a type and a shadow. The waters of God's word will put to death your old man and take away his power. Put him to death in the Dead Sea. And whenever you remember the Red Sea, and whenever you remember what the Lord did for you, you take away his power. Whenever you celebrate the victory, you take away his power. 
Don't ever believe what your flesh is telling you. Don't believe what the devil tells you through your flesh, that he still has power. That old man's dead. He has no power no more. Now, the Lord is your Savior. Continue to trust in Him. Just uh, uh, Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You're a new creature in Christ. Remember the good news. If you get talked out of the good news, you'll do, make the same mistakes that the Israelites did in the wilderness. They wanted to go back to the power of Egypt because God brought them to places and positions that, um, where they knew they had no strength to save themselves. You know what happens when you get in a position like that? Your flesh cries out to go back to Egypt. Go back to the flesh spots. Go back to a place where man had power over the enemy. Man had power to save. But the Lord is not going to let that happen, folks. He's not going to let us go back to Egypt in the coming days. He's going to keep us in the wilderness until the old man's dead. Now, the Lord was... um, Of course, at baptism, we know the old man's dead. But when you go past your baptism, you're going into the place where what you received by faith at baptism must now be manifested. And the way it's manifested is you let the old, let the water, let the water of the word put to death the old man. You hold fast the confession of your hope that it waver not. You, you uh, reckon him to be dead. You know, the Bible says he made you free from sin. Don't forget it. It says that twice in Romans chapter 6. He made you free from sin. Reckon yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God. This is the way we overcome sin, folks. It's by faith. It's not by works, not by efforts, not by our power. That's when you're going back to the old man. That's when you're going back to the horse and rider, if you're trusting in your ability. You know, legalism does that. It causes you to go back to the self-righteousness of religion in Egypt. But you understand, God um, God wouldn't let his people sacrifice in Egypt. When they sacrificed in Egypt, they sacrificed the abomination of the Egyptians. That's what was said in the book of Exodus. So God's going to keep his people in the wilderness until everything that needs to be burned up is burned up. And this is, this is a joyful thing, folks, because the people of God are once again going to walk in the steps of Jesus Christ. They're going to take up their cross and follow him. Now, Miriam, you know, um, in verse 21, she said, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. This is, a re- this is a revelation of our triumph gloriously that was given to us through Jesus Christ. He conquered the old man. Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider, and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. And Moses led Israel onward from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Here's one of the first places that God was going to use to to put to death the old man and to cause them to learn to trust in the power of God. He was going to manifestly put to death what died at the Red Sea. You know, people people say it like this. They say, well, he... He got them out of Egypt, but he had to get Egypt out of them. And that's so true, isn't it? We come out of the world through faith in Jesus Christ. Now God wants to get the world out of us. He wants us to walk in the kingdom totally. 
And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah, which means bitter. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And he cast it into the waters, and the waters were made sweet. Well, I believe that this tree represents the cross. If we just remember what happened at the cross, and we remember that God gave us new life at the cross, and we remember that the old man died there, and the new man was given to us, Jesus Christ. You know, Second uh, Corinthians 3 and 18 kind of um, gives us the same parable, but in a different way. It says, We behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and are transformed into that same image from glory to glory. What happened at the cross? What happened at the Red Sea? What happened at our baptism? was that the old man died and the new man came to life. And that new man is Jesus Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, we are to believe that it's no longer I that live, it's Christ that liveth in me. That's the gospel. If you begin to confess that, you will see the power of Jesus Christ in you to overcome these things. It's that we have a failure attitude. You know, we have a, uh, an attitude of unbelief when it comes to trials, and uh, the ability of the Lord in us to take care of that and to overcome that. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And um, when they came to this, this uh, trial where they didn't have any water, water represents life in the wilderness, doesn't it? They didn't have any water. Uh, God showed Moses this tree, and he cast it into the waters, and the waters were made sweet. Well, we know from... Um, from James chapter 3, that the, the sweet and the bitter waters is talking about the tongue. You know, part of the gospel is confession. With the heart man believes unto, mouth, unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Part of this is confession. Murmuring, murmuring in the wilderness was the opposite of what we're talking about here. The sweet waters. You know, um, the Bible said in uh, James chapter 3 and verse 8, it says, But the tongue can no man tame. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we the Lord and Father, and therewith curse we men who are made in His image. You know how we curse men? It's not, it's not, he's not talking about speaking what the world calls curses. He's talking about speaking what um, the Bible calls curses. And the Bible calls curses when you don't agree with the Word. You know, the Lord told us in um, the last four verses of the book, you know, that if you add to his words or take away from his words, the curses of this book are upon you. And he'll take away your part from the tree of life. You won't have the life, right? So, we, uh, we bring ourselves under a curse with our own mouth, folks, when we disagree with God's word. And when we agree with the world and the devil and what the old man says, he's dead. He doesn't have a right to talk anymore, right? When we do that, we bring ourselves under a curse because we've disagreed with the gospel. The gospel is the good news, and it is the power of God to save the one that believes it. But we prove whether we believe it by our actions. The Israelites, when they went into the wilderness, they proved whether they believed it by their actions. Now, we have a problem here. You know, David said, Lord, set a watch before my lips. 
He wanted to be careful about what came out of his mouth. You know, we're told in Proverbs that life and death are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. We need to agree with God. We need to be proven to be believers by believing in God. We need to have the sweet waters that the cross has given to us, not the bitter waters that bring the curse. As he goes on to say here, it's a restless evil, deadly poison. Verse 10, Out of the same mouth cometh forth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. Doth the fountain send forth from the same opening sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brethren, yield olives, or a vine figs? Neither can salt water yield sweet. Now in this same text he talks about the great power of salvation that comes from the tongue. He said, uh, in verse 2, many, in many things we all stumble. If any man stumbles not in word, the same is a perfect man. You see, mature people don't stumble in their words. That's how you get to maturity, is you don't stumble. In, you don't agree with the world. You don't agree with the devil. You don't agree with the curse, because Jesus bore the curse. You see, you agree with what God said. And you agree with his promises. You hold fast the confession of your hope that it waver not. For he is faithful that promised. And anybody else, they die in the wilderness. Uh, if any stumbleth not in word, the same as a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body also. The, the tongue has the power to bridle the body. The sweet waters have the power to bridle that body, to bring it under control, to make it serve the Lord. What's the horse represent? The very opposite. It's bridling the flesh to serve the old man. Bridling the beast to serve the old man. Now, if we put bridles into their mouths that they may obey us, we turn about their whole body also. Behold the ships also. The uh, though that they are great and are driven by rough winds, and yet turned about by a very small rudder, whither the impulse of the steersman willeth. So the tongue also is a little member and boasteth the great things. See, the, he's saying that the tongue can turn about your body, can, call, can bring repentance. You know, people think repentance is, um, is crying to the Lord about their sins, but repentance just means... Turning around, going the other way. Repentance just means changing your mind. Repentance is the word. Change your mind. And the tongue is able to turn us around. When you change your mind and you speak in agreement with the word, power is given. Power is given to you. You know, we are justified through faith. We are counted righteous through faith. And James said, I will show you my faith by my works. See, when you speak in agreement with the word, you are justified. And the Bible tells us that in Romans chapter 2 also. You know, that um, uh, if you want to be justified in your words when you come into judgment, let God be true and every man a liar. Now, why do we have to be justified? Because without justification, you don't get grace. That's what the Bible says. If you want to be justified before God, you want God's favor upon you, then say what God says. Don't say what the world says. 
And if you will do that, you will find God's favor upon you. When they murmured in the wilderness, it was because they disagreed with God and they agreed with their old flesh. They sided with the devil. They sided with his son, which is the old man, the flesh. And they didn't receive grace from God. They died in the wilderness. You know, he goes on to say here, Behold how much wood is kindled by how small a fire. You know, your tongue can, it will destroy you. Because we're always speaking faith out of our mouth. Did you know that? We're always doing it. You believe in something every time you open your mouth. You either believe in the devil and the curse, or you believe in God and, and the blessing that he gave you at the cross. But you're giving authority to someone every time you open your mouth. You're binding and loosening every time you open your mouth. Without even saying, I bind or I loose, like some people say. You know, No, you agree with the devil. You're giving faith to him. He has power. You agree with God. You give faith to him. You give him power. He said, how do you give him power? Well, if you remember, Jesus Jesus um, went to his own hometown and he could not do many mighty works because of their unbelief. He was powerless. And it was, it was because of what they believed, you see. Be it unto you according to your faith, Jesus said. As you have believed, so shall it be unto you, Jesus said. You give power to God. God has given you authority to give him power. He said, what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Now, God's always got power. He's just not going to use it for you if you're not justified. And you're not justified if you disagree with Him. So you have to agree with Him. Otherwise, you're destroying yourself. See, the lost people out there, they destroy themselves. They have all faith in the world and the devil and in the curse, which Jesus bore. How much wood is kindled by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The world of iniquity among our members is the tongue, which defileth the whole body. The tongue defiles the body. Did you know that? Jesus said it's not what goes into a man's mouth that defiles him. It's what comes out of his mouth that defiles him. This he said, making all meats clean. There's a lot of religious spirits out there are all hung up under what they can eat and what they can't eat. This he said, making all meats clean. That's the word of the Lord, folks. He rebuked Peter because Peter saw the sheets coming down out of heaven with all the beasts and said, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. He said, what I make clean, don't you make unclean. Of course, that was also being used as a parable of the Gentiles that he made clean. Defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the wheel of nature, or cycle of life. Same words, cycle of life. How can your tongue set on fire the cycle of life? See, the cycle of life is like sowing and reaping, right? What you sow, you reap. Then you take out of what you've reaped to sow again, right? It's a cycle. You know, when you when you uh, plant corn and you grow the corn, you take the corn, you go plant the corn again, right? Well, it's a cycle. What you sow, you reap. In our nature, it's the same way. In your nature, it's the exact same way. When you're, you're filled with holiness, it comes out of your mouth. And what do you do? You reap what you sown. And then you sow it again, right? Well, it can be the same way with a wicked tongue. You know, you, you agree with the curse, you get the curse. 
then you're living a cursed life, and what comes out of your mouth is more curse. And so what you receive back again is curse. Sowing and reaping. The tongue sets on fire the cycle of life, or cycle of nature. And it's set on fire by hell. That's what he says. And so what happened over here, when they went into the wilderness, the first thing they got, I believe, is uh, for us anyway, uh, type in a shadow, a revelation of what we've got to do when we first enter into our wilderness. We've got to learn to agree with God. Their big mistake was they agreed with the curse. They walked by what they saw and what they felt and what they heard. They didn't walk by what thus saith the Lord. We, we need to live supernaturally in the wilderness that comes. We're going to have to learn to live supernaturally. There's only one way you can do that. You've got to walk by what thus saith the Lord. You've got to accept it and speak it. Yeah, I'm reminded of uh, Peter when he stepped out of the boat. He lived supernaturally, but he only stepped out on one word. He said, Lord, you just say the word, and I'll step out of the boat. Well, the Lord said one word, come. And he stepped out of the boat. But when he got his eyes off the Lord, and off that word, and on the ways, started walking by sight, the, the desolation of the wilderness, you know, so to speak, he started sinking. See, we have the power to live supernaturally. We, we have it through faith in the gospel. And uh, we, the gospel needs to, needs to be coming out of our mouth in the situations where we don't have any strength to save ourselves. That's what God's going to do. His power is made perfect in weakness. When you have no way to save yourself, you will turn to the Lord. Everybody does. Everybody that's called of God, everybody that's elect of God does. They turn to the Lord. That's why the wilderness is there. It's, it's bringing us to the place where the horse and the rider no longer have power. And we need to remember that. They no longer have power. We can live supernaturally. We can live above this world even in a wilderness where there is no provision, we can live there by faith in the Word of God. The cross made sure of that, folks. That's what verse 25, Exodus 15 and 25 is saying. He cast the tree into the waters, and the waters that were bitter became sweet. Do you know what happened at the cross? That old man died. The one who spoke the bitter waters died. The one who who gave faith to the devil, who brought the curse upon that life, died. The cross crucified him. The old man's dead. Consider yourself, reckon yourself to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God, the Bible says. If you will do this, you're united with Christ in the likeness of his death. If, you're do, if you will do this, uh, you will be justified before God, and you will receive grace from God, which is His favor to uh, walk that life, walk out that life in the wilderness. And, um, you know, we're, I'm going to read on just a minute here. It says, uh, There He made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there He proved them. And He said, If thou wilt diligently hearken unto the voice, this is what we have to do. We don't need to hear any other voice in this coming wilderness. We need to hearken, which means hear and obey, that voice of the Lord. If we will do that, 
and don't hear anything else. Don't walk according to the ears of this world and the sight of this world. We'll just hearken unto his voice. And we'll let that voice be in our voice too, by the way. Um, then we'll have this benefit. Hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God. And we'll do that which is right in his eyes. And we'll give ear to his commandments. Give ear to his commandments. And keep his statutes. I will put none of the diseases upon thee which I have put upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. Why did he make this promise? Well, he made it for us. I mean, the Bible says the things that happened unto them were for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. This is written to us, folks. Why did he make this at the very beginning of their wilderness? Do you know we're about to, to go into a wilderness here? And um, one, of the, one of the natures or characters of this wilderness is, um, is even all the old diseases are coming back, folks. They're coming back because uh, man's power is coming to an end. I mean, his power to save himself is coming to an end. God's going to see to it. You know, um, I had a vision like that one time. Uh, I was sitting in front of my house before I actually moved over here to Florida. And uh, my wife and I were both sitting in lawn chairs in front of our house. And we watched this um, power line going across in front of the house in this vision and the power line was almost touching the ground it was sagging in the middle till it almost touched the ground and we were looking at this and studying this and suddenly a a, hurricane, a tornado came over that power line and just picked us up and carried us away and the lord explained this little vision to me he said that that power line represents the power of man and the reason it was sagging and almost touching the ground is it's coming to an end the power of man is coming to an end you know the, the horse and rider, we, we need to reckon them dead in the Red Sea. Uh, the power of man is coming to an end. And when, I, and when the, the, the tornado came and picked us up, that represented the power of God. And, uh, you know, like that carried Elijah away, right? And it picked us up and carried us away. And you know what? We, that's exactly what happened to us shortly after that. We were supernaturally uh, brought over here to to Pensacola, Florida, from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. God just paid the whole bill, and he just found us the very house he'd given us visions of, and many things, many miraculous things happened. He gave us the house and gave us the car, everything that we'd asked in faith for, he did, you know. Um, The power of man came to an end, too, because anything that I tried to do to bring it to pass didn't happen. It was God who brought it to pass. See, God doesn't want to share his glory with the old man, with the flesh. While you're working, he's not. When you stop, he will. And uh, he's not going to share it with the horse and rider. they got to die at the edge of the wilderness. You know, where we're going, folks, his works won't save you. And uh, the Israelites lost faith in God. They wanted to go back to Egypt, wanted to go back to the salvation of the flesh pots and to trusting in the arm of the flesh and to trusting in man. But... But it's not going to work anymore for us. It's not even going to work for the world. It definitely won't work for us. God's called us to something different. He said he would put none of the diseases upon us which he has put upon the Egyptians. He said, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Folks, 
this whole world is going to be polluted. This whole world is going to be poisoned. There's going to be biological things loosed on this world from God and from man that are just beyond imagination. And yet we've got promises right here at the beginning of the wilderness. We've got a promise that God won't put this upon us. He said he would put it upon the Egyptians, but he didn't say he would put it upon us. The wicked will feel his wrath, but we're supposed to walk by faith in this good news, this gospel. It's God's salvation. You know, we, we've seen, uh, we've received revelations here about uh, the water being poisoned all throughout this land. Ultimately, the air being poisoned. Multitudes of people will die of man-made diseases. I recounted in, in our uh, previous broadcast about a brother um, over on the East Coast who, who had a vision. He was a prophet. He had a vision that uh, he saw biological weapons coming into this country. He saw uh, Muslims bringing in biological uh, weapons and loosing them and killing 80 million people. He saw a vision of that happening. You know, folks, <laughs> there's... Um, there's things going across this land that the only thing that's going to save you is faith in the gospel. No strength of man will do it. Nothing will cause us to live through this wilderness like Joshua and Caleb did, except holding fast to the confession of the gospel, holding fast to the power of God. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken, and everything that can burn will burn. I'm, I'm reminded of... Um, Something that's stuck with me for a long time, and that's uh, Dimitri Dudeman's vision of uh, seeing the the earth catch on fire, and God speaking to him and saying, "Dimitri, get on the mountain, or you will burn." You know what is the mountain? The mountain is right back where we came from, back over in Hebrews chapter twelve. It's Mount Zion. It's the spirits of just men made perfect. It's the place that won't be shaken. Everything in this world will be shaken, but those who abide in God's kingdom through faith and through their confession, these people will be saved and they will endure this wilderness. In fact, multitudes of them will be so good at it, they will endure to the end. They will, um, let me say, uh, uh, live through everything that's coming upon this world because of their faith that Jesus already bore this curse. They're going to live through it. And God's going to deliver them from the diseases that are rampant. See, we need to get prepared, folks. We've got to put the Word of God. That's the next parable in Exodus 16. The manna that came down out of heaven. You know, we've got to get the manna in our heart. You know what the manna was? Uh, Exodus 16 and 31, it says, The house of Israel called the name thereof manna. And many of you have a footnote there. The Hebrew is man. Man. Not manna. It's man. What man? Jesus Christ. He is the Word of God, right? The house of Israel called the name thereof man. And it was like coriander seed, white. The taste of it was like wafers made with honey. You know, folks, um, they were... They said that, it, that they hated that vile, they called it vile, bread, light bread. 
Our soul loatheth this light bread or vile bread. They didn't like the manna. They were tired of the manna. And uh, many Christians are just tired of the manna. They're tired of the word. They'd rather go please themselves with the world. But they're not getting prepared for the things that are coming upon the world. See, this is the life in the wilderness. The, the thing that's going to give life to God's people in the wilderness was the manna. Jesus said that he was that manna. And he is the word. And they were uh, commanded to partake of this manna for the whole time they were in the wilderness. Let me read that, verse 35. The children of Israel did eat the manna forty years until they came to a land inhabited. They did eat the manna until they came unto the borders of the land of Canaan. So, you know what? The thing that was to preserve them all the way through the wilderness till they came to the promised land was the manna. Supernaturally preserved them, the manna. And uh, they... They cried out for flesh. They got tired of the manna. They cried out for flesh. And what did God do about it? He said, all right, I'll give you flesh. He said, matter of fact, I'll give you flesh till it comes out of your nose. What does the, what's the flesh represent? It represents living after the lusts of the flesh. Matter of fact, let me read that to you. It's Numbers chapter 11, uh, verse 18. Say thou unto the people, Sanctify yourselves tomorrow, and you shall eat flesh. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you flesh, and you shall eat. You shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but a whole month until it come out of your nostrils. And it, it will be loathsome unto you, because... That you have rejected the Lord who is among you. Who is that? The manna. They rejected the manna. They wanted to live after the flesh. He wanted to give them the word. And they wanted the flesh. And you know what happened? God smote them. It it says in verse um, 33. While the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people. And the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. And the name of that place was called Kibroth Hatava, which means the graves of lust. See, they lived after they wanted to live after the lust of their flesh. It pleased them to live after the lust of their flesh. Instead of partaking of the word, which was life. And so God gave them gave them over to the lusts of their flesh. You want to know why multitudes of so called Christians are going to go berserk in the coming time because they're crying out for something besides the word of God which God provided for them to preserve them through this wilderness and while they're crying out for it God's going to be giving it to them the whole world's going to be demon possessed in the coming wilderness folks the only people that are going to be preserved is those that have eaten the bread of life Jesus Christ those that have, you know what it is to eat something? You eat it, it goes into you, it's digested, it becomes who you are. That's what it is to eat. You know, some people study it, and they talk about it in church, but they don't walk it out, act it out, live it out, you know. See, the only thing that's going to preserve us in the days to come 
the flesh is going to kill people. The lust of the flesh is going to kill people. But the only thing that's going to preserve us is to digest the Word of God. And he said, if you keep, you keep these commandments, which is what that means, that he will put none of the diseases upon thee, which he's put upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Our God will give supernatural provision to his people to live through the wilderness. He told them he was going to try them with a day's portion every day to prove them, to see whether they would keep his law or not. God bless you, brother. We love you. Join us next time. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to www.americaslastdays.com. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels. Post Office Box 23-1616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. Darkest night.